everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got a great episode planned for you today. Don't worry about the background. Still the same show. Great episode. Today, we're actually getting a chance to sit down with Stuart Cooper. If you've had the opportunity to watch any BJJ video or short film on BJJ, most likely you've watched Stuart Cooper films. Stuart shares with us his creative process as he's building these films and also all the different types of training camps that he's seen over the years. He's got some amazing stories that we get to share with you today. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you like seeing so many different types of guests, all different types of technique breakdowns and event breakdowns, make sure you like and subscribe. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. There you're going to get all your CBD and THD products or whatever you need. Just remember to like the podcast on Instagram and like their Instagram page, and you're going to be able to save some money every single time you shop there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you on the map. different everywhere isn't it <laughs> it's different all over the place all over canada it's like yeah. i don't know it, i think it's a topic we've been done to death i don't think we're going to start leading or so Stuart, what do you think of ivermectin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we'll stay away from that but yeah. everybody welcome back to the podcast we are joined today by Stuart cooper of Stuart cooper films we are super excited to have him on the podcast today um Stuart, i've been a big fan of your work for a very long time so this is awesome to actually get you on the podcast because because watching your BJJ films are just kind of like awesome videography and I, I love every parts of it. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So um, I know we got in touch mostly because you actually have a fight coming up shortly on the yep. FLA card with um, down in the East Coast. Do you want to kind of tell us about that, especially about kind of some preparations that you got going on? Yeah, I'm going up against uh, Corey, if I pronounce the second, is it Guitard? Yeah, Corey Guitard. Guitard. Yes. Corey Guitard. I and I know he's very good, actually. I've just been watching his matches the past couple of days. He uh, he had a good match with Josh Hinger. I mean, he lost that one, but it's Josh Hinger. And he did did really good against him. You know, he went the distance. Um, I've seen him, but he had a good match with Dan Simler, who's a Matt Serra black belt. Uh, yeah, I've been going through quite a few of his matches, so I know he's a very high-level competitor. And I think it's a good match. We definitely look about the exact same size as well. So it looks like looks like he likes to feel it out on the feet a bit, but he can wrestle, he can take down, he can play guard. Looks like he um, is you know up to date with the leg entanglements or the new leg system. So um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to this one because I've not been able to compete much at all the last just before COVID. I was out for a year. I was just getting back into competition again, but then uh, my knee ripped, so I was out with knee surgery. And then I managed to, I was out for just over a year, got back competing, but then COVID hit. And I'm in Canada where there's no competitions. Over in US, there's quite, you know, quite a few different competitions for people to still compete in. So I've been, you know, not really been active for the last three years. So recently I've been jumping in a a few grappling industry tournaments just to get back into the rhythm of competing again, get used to the the competition anxiety. Um, I'm going to do a couple more in January uh, leading up to, uh, the FLA is it? It's going to be in Nova Scotia. Yes. Right? Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. It's I'm looking right forward on. to coming up to that part, but I just wish it was the summer. <laughs> yeah. <the> winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah. Driving, driving there from Ontario in like winter, going through 
Quebec, I'm not sure if you've been in that area of the country yet, but it is not pretty when it's like minus 40 in January. Yeah, yeah, it looks freezing. I mean, Vancouver's not too, it's just wet here right now. I was actually just in Chicago a few days ago, and that is cold. That's freezing. Yeah, yeah, Vancouver on the other end kind of looks like this island that I'm on right now. Maybe more in July, but like, yeah. Um, what what's kind of like your prep like in, in general when you're going like tournament versus like a super fight are you are you focusing uh, more like on yourself like what's what's kind of like your your i want to say like necessarily what your game plan is but like what's like yeah. your prep like are you kind of focusing on a specific strategy or are you just focusing on like hey this is what i'm gonna go and um, do i'm definitely yeah i'm working on a few different things um uh, especially recently like uh i don't really want to say what but there's a few like uh you know, finishes and setups that I've been working on. Uh, I'm definitely going to be like fine tuning them over the next like, um, you know, four to six weeks. But I'm always, I'm always pretty like, I'm always in the gym. I usually train at least once a day, every day, but sometimes twice a day. So I'm always very consistent with my training. Uh, But when it leads up to a tournament or um, like a super fight, uh, the only thing I'll increase is increase just like the cardio, like I'll get you know, probably increased, uh, do a couple of 10 K runs a week, a few like hill sprints, things like that. Maybe increased uh, the weight training a little bit and just be uh, much more clean on my diet. Yeah. But, uh, part that, of the training is pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't mind it about the diet part, you know, it's such a good excuse for me to have a little detox, you know, getting a lot of stuff out of your system like what what yeah. uh, weight class are you in right now Stuart? Um, asking. right now i just weighed myself before i'm like i was 201 actually but my weight's weird i fluctuate between like 200 and 190 you know okay and so you're usually about 190 to 200 so aaron's yeah, actually i would he, say i'm probably aaron, 194 or something usually. okay so we're, we're around the same size aaron's actually jumped up multiple weight classes he's actually about 245 right now really yeah <laughs> i'm not but covid definitely did a work on everybody i think you got the covid 10 freshman 15 covid 19 yeah. <laughs> not 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 the year it was discovered it was actually 19 pounds that's that's the average amount of weight people are gaining yeah <laughs> No, for sure. Have you had a chance to kind of like, um, I know you guys got back from grappling industries in Chicago, but would you get a chance to watch any of the, uh, the world championships happening at all today or anything? Uh, like that? is that McGee? In the McGee? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I actually, <laughs> I don't watch any <laughs> gi matches. I've, um, it's not that I don't like, I actually enjoy rolling the gi, like the, the rare times that I do, <laughs> but, um, I, I really enjoy the no gi stuff. Like as, mm-hmm. as, um, you know, we jujitsu continues to evolve and grow the next few years. I, I think you're really going to see them two moving apart even more and more. At my school now in Vancouver, we're like 90, we're going to change this soon, but we're like 98% no gi. Oh, really? <laughs> As in, we have one gi class a week. <laughs> so like the complete opposite of the style of training i'm used to so like right. and when i first I, started as well it was all gi and we had one no gi class a week but i would always look forward to that no gi class just because it's it's faster you know but uh we're actually going to start a gi program in the new year yeah so there's actually there's actually some news right coming out of the the pyramid i well it's actually yeah it is actually well it's in anaheim but um so uh nicholas marigali actually so he won his semifinal match against Victor Hugo. I wow. think ap- apparently initial reports are, and he's also in the absolute final as well against Felipe Pena. So this is like very initial groundbreaking stuff. Actually, I was just talking to Aaron about maybe 15 minutes before this podcast started. So apparently he flipped off Sanji and a lot of, 
other his teams. So really, uh, flip, as they say across the pond, he flipped the bird to yeah. uh, some some of uh, Victor Hugo's coaches and uh, teammates, and I think he's just been DQ'd from the final and from the absolute potentially as well. Wow. Uh, I just saw briefly online that I know he got the same loop choke. He got a loop choke and cyborg in one of the yeah. matches. Yeah. Got back right. to back. So none of that matters now because now he's just right. disqualified. Yeah. 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 You're going to be at those IBGF. You can get disqualified for like the littlest of things, you know, just like holding the grip pan the wrong way. There's a lot of little, a lot of rules to follow in the, the IBGF key. Yeah, we were kind of saying like, you know what, it, it's not a who's number one or like a grappling industry, for example, like you can kind of get away with that kind of stuff at those <laughs> You can flip yeah, off but... whoever you want. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I remember um, it was a BJJ Fanatics tournament, no gi tournament, it was like a Grand Prix and it was uh, Tex Johnson and he was competing against William Tackett, who was a purple belt at the yep. time, but this is like mm-hmm. only a year and a half ago. And Tex Johnson, he, he cracked him. Oh, I remember <laughs> he, that. He hit him and then he tried to say after it's all, I slipped. It's like, come on. Like, I don't know about that. <laughs> he but pulled out punched sorry, him. The match continued. It. He didn't get disqualified. And... No? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised. I was like, oh, that's a DQ. But nope. <laughs> so, like, question for you, Stuart, because, I mean, like, you seeing it, obviously, behind this, the lens of a camera and obviously seeing the sport evolve. And as you were saying, like, how the gi has kind of, like, been – turning away not necessarily turning away sorry like parting its way from yeah it's going a separate movie. direction yeah, yeah it's going a separate direction so like how did you kind of like start to see that was it just the excitement was it the competitors the individuals the personalities what do you think i think it was uh all to do with like danaher and his guys and his systems you know the the leg locks um you know the the rise of leg lock systems coming into play and uh, having such an impact on the nogi that you're not really able to do a lot of the leg entanglements in the key. So, yeah, I really think, uh, plus all the Danaher guys are mostly compete no gi. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of them are very, uh, very good at promoting themselves online, you know, quite outspoken, like Gordon Ryan and Gary Tone. And these people are very big, like characters. Uh, Craig Jones, like it seems like the bigger personalities, especially on social media, are mostly in the, the no gi world. I would say anyway. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you kind of see, you know, I guess Brazilian jiu-jitsu and like Nogi kind of going in the direction of like, let's say it's like the UFC or like who's number one where you're having like, you know, like super, super fights yeah. and like there's promos by guys and yeah, that would like be personalities. Cool, kind of like awesome. Pro- yeah. Imagine yeah. if you had like a, like basically like the UFC, you had, you had the weight divisions and you had rankings and you just, it was all just Nogi matchups yeah and they're like 15 minute round like just one round 15 minutes but judged in three five three five minute round periods yeah. you know so, so there's it's a like lot of one, potential yeah there's a lot it's like one direction it's going and then there's some like traditionalists i guess you could say it's like kind of like they like the ibjjf route where it's like you know it's formal martial art tournament i mean i think personally like both are good for the sport in their own ways like i think it's yeah for guys to guys and girls to go to like let's say the IBGF events you know you know make a name for themselves and then they can get to like those flow grappling who's number one those those super fights where you know potentially you know that's where they take things to the next level I don't know what your thought is on that but this is kind of me like thinking out loud with that whole process yeah it's cool there's so many different rule sets you can compete in as well you know you've got the Polaris rule set back in England which I really like that's my favorite one the who's number one is good the fight to win you've got the EBI a rule set which is good for entertainment but as a if i was to compete in that 
it does, it's not necessarily the best guy that wins in the EBI format just because of the overtime, especially in submission underground because the regulation is only five minutes. And five yeah. minutes for two world-class black belts is not really enough time not to a, work. It's not enough time, I You agree could really that. play to the rules and stall out for the first five minutes, but you're amazing at back escapes and finishing with a rear naked choke in the overtime. But it's great. I love watching it, you know? Um, yeah. But it is, it's cool, uh, all these different rule sets. You've got the no time limit. I think that, I think no submission only, no time limit, really, that's when you find out who is the best, who's the best grappler, you know? Yeah, is that your favorite rule set, if you have to pick um, a... Um, probably, like, I mean, I, I would probably, I don't think I would want to do another no time limit again. I would do it, but actually, uh, I've done <laughs> we need two a time before. Limit. <laughs> yeah, that's actually when I changed my style of jiu-jitsu. I did my very first no-gi submission only, no time limit. It was quite a few years ago in England, and my first match went 45 minutes. And that's when I realized my game was so positional. It's just like sweep, pass guard, mount, go for an arm triangle. If I don't get an arm triangle, stay in mount until the, the time's up, which worked at all these tournaments. But then it was no time limit. I couldn't, this guy was quite a, much bigger than me. So I, I was just relying on upper body submissions and I just couldn't get them. So it was like 45 minutes before he got tired and I got him in a banana split. But I walked away from that thinking, right, I need way more attacks, way more finishes, you know, my upper body and lower body, just mix it up more. So that's when I started working on my submission game. Yeah, I think another good rule set, obviously, is the ADCC rule set. Yeah. They have a really yeah. good format for, like, obviously finding out true grappling and really finding the best out of the best. Yeah. Yeah, it's very wrestling heavy as well, ADCC, but it's quite hard to score points. I think even if you uh, get a sweep or get a takedown, you have to pin their shoulders to the mat. I'm, not, I'm really not sure. I yeah, believe, quite... I believe so. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know the whole rules. Yeah, but uh, quite often you can see some ADCC matches, and it looks like one guy's got a bunch of points. He goes to them, it's still 0-0. Zero, zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like, I, I think the simpler the rule set, the better, honestly. Like, a lot of people complain about the, the IBGGF rule set is probably something I'm the most familiar with, and I would say, yeah. like, this is me who's done four or five referee courses and ref like probably a hundred plus IBGF style rule tournaments. And like, even then there's situations where I'm just like, I honestly don't know what to call yeah. that because there can just be some strange situ situation that comes up and it could decide a match. And like, I don't want to be the guy who's like gringoing somebody as some people are saying, but, yeah. but like, I, I, it's very difficult to like, just, you know, trying to, figure out like what rule you know what rule set is best but i think honestly the simpler the better like hey a sweep is a sweep i come on top and or i take you down like that's that's worth something yeah. or or why don't you just submit the guy i said think it yeah. makes things much easier i think one thing i did jeff definitely i'm glad they allowed heel hooks now um so there's no dq for like reaping but i don't understand for the life of me how you don't get points for a body triangle on the back you have to get the hooks and then switch to the body triangle still, correct? If you just go to the body, let's say I get a back tape, but I go to the body triangle, there's no points. You have nope. to have hooks first. Still, still not points. <laughs> but like, it's literally the best control. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. They're going to have to change that at some point. I think like anything, eventually they'll, the rules will have to evolve, especially if they start to see as the sports start to kind of change more than anything. I think it's, it's, has to happen i think they'll have yeah. to evolve it to some extent yeah yeah so how did you kind of like start really kind of like your journey whether it's in jujitsu and like how did it even get in with you behind the lens 
like kind of putting that out there for the world, especially, especially um, all these high, different high level films. I started, uh, I was actually training Jiu Jitsu and I started competing in a lot of uh, local tournaments in England, all the way up to Blue Belt. And I was doing really well uh, just in the local tournaments, getting a lot of gold medals. And that's when I kind of made the decision. Like, I think I'm, I'm, I was only 22 at the time. I thought I'm good enough to go quite far in this, like as a competitor and eventually like uh, instructing, like teaching. But then I uh, dislocated my left arm in a seminar one day. I think I took someone's back. They tried to shoot, they tripoded forwards, tried to shake me off the front. I went to post my hand and my arm snapped back uh, the opposite Ooh, way. Lovely. So was, uh, I was out for a year. And that's when um, I did go to university to study like media because I had an interest in filmmaking. Um, at school, the only thing I was good at was art and sport, you know, anything creative or sporty, uh, anything academic, you know, numbers and, you know, <laughs> I'm not good at it. But um, yeah, that's when I dis dislocated my arm, that's when I picked up a video camera and just started filming training and just doing little um, highlights of my, you know, my teammates competing at the local tournaments, little highlights of just people rolling at the academy. And then one of the local tournaments actually hired me they paid me 300 pounds to film one of the tournaments and that was like a lot of money for me back then you know this is like yeah. 2010 i think um and it was a guy called jason tan um who has the mma academy in liverpool so he uh, was very well connected he competed in the ufc a couple of times but he knows everybody in uk and he was organizing a seminar with ryan hall and gunnar nelson um, and he also put me in contact with Brawley Esteema. So he oh, liked okay. the videos I was doing. Like he, he's, he's like, hey, Stu, I love your highlights, but have you thought about doing something more, like filming a seminar, doing interviews and stuff? And I'm like, oh, I've never done it before. I'll, I'll be up for trying it. And that's, it was actually Jason Tan who really encouraged me to start making the short films. That's awesome because I think the very first one I think I discovered it might have been like that or like early 2010, 11, 12 era was that Ryan Hall seminar that was being because I was that was one guy that I was watching a lot of when he was coming up as like a brown belt and a black belt. And I think yeah. that was the first like one of the first like Stuart Cooper films that I've watched actually, which was really cool. Now you mentioned that story. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the one I made after that. So I think that was the very first one, actually. And the one after that was the one with Gunnar Nelson. And people really liked that one because uh, he had a very different kind of mindset. You know? <laughs> so I called that one a calm mind. <laughs> oh, straight, out, straight out of Iceland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. From there, yes, that's when he put me in contact with Brawley Esteema. Uh, met Brawley. Brawley was training for ADCC 2011. Uh, he was training for the super fight with Jacare, and Jason reached out to Brow and said, would you be interested in my friend really can make some cool videos? Is it all right if he comes and films you? And just think at this time, like this is the lead up to 2011, there was no flow grappling. Those Budo videos, but Budo videos were just doing the live stream. Yeah. And I was yeah, really right. inspired by what the reason I got into Jiu Jitsu was watching UFC. So I loved watching UFC countdowns and the, the build up, mm -hmm. watching this fight prepare and this fighter prepare. So I was very inspired by that. And then, yeah, that's when I'm, this, I said to Brown, hey, how about I like film your preparation? We make it into like a four part series. It was just a shame Jacare was all the way over in Brazil. So I couldn't really show his side. But I made this four-part series of Braulio, um training for ADCC called The Road to ADCC. And it's not online anymore because at the time I just used, you know, really popular music like Arcade Fire. Yeah. And <laughs> so it got <laughs> taken down. So yeah, that's why a lot of the, 
Yeah, I've had a lot of copyright issues on my channel. It's amazing my channel still exists, actually. But I've actually Google um, does not like you right now. No. <laughs> so I've had to re-edit a lot of my films. I've got a, a people I've actually noticed I'm re-uploading a lot of content, but it's just I've just swapped the music and tidied up the editing a little bit better as well. Mm-hmm. Like, do you still have like all of your old like um, films on? on file still like you're still able to do yeah all that stuff? yeah yeah i do actually yeah I've, I've lost quite a bit of footage i've got hard drives and stuff all over the place that's good you know so uh yeah and i've i've lost some footage over the years by i've got I've some, several hard drives that just failed on me and i can't even remember what's on them it's probably some great stuff on them i know i have like a, a four-hour interview with dean lister on one of my hard drives that i dropped on the floor i'm going to oh. retrieve that at some point but it was a great one because oh, I just man. got Dean. It was in my house in Thailand when I was living there. And I just sat him down, bought him a bunch of beers, and he just starts glizzing down the beer <laughs> and, uh, and just goes off on his whole life story for like four hours. And it was, I remember it being an epic interview because we know we knew each other quite well by that point. We're relaxed. We're having a couple of beers. Mm-hmm. We're just having a conversation. And I got some gold out of him, but fuck, I dropped that hard drive <laughs> in the floor. <laughs> that's, and that's that happens, you, you know. It's yeah, one you wish, wish you have that's functional right now. Yeah, same thing happened with Josh Hinger, actually. I was filming with him in Singapore. Everything I filmed in Singapore, like, for whatever reason, the, the card and the camera just got corrupted, and I lost <sighs> everything. But fortunately, I was on my way to th- back to Thailand, and Josh was in Thailand, so we just did it again. You know? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Who's, who's somebody that, like, you've never had an interview or sat, sat down with that you're like, oh, man, like, that's one person, one male or female, that's, that's somebody I want to sit down with good question um no someone i've always wanted to do something with is kit dale we just never been got around to <laughs> got around to doing it just because he's such a character i really like his sense of humor and he's he's got damn good jiu-jitsu as well mm-hmm. and he's competed at a very high level um who else yeah a lot not of the, aaron, not aaron gall or mike Ryers. No. definitely not <laughs> yeah there's quite a few uh people i'd like uh like to do some stuff with uh on the top of my list is like dante leon yeah the rotolo twins you know um i think they would make some really i'd really like to do some of the rotolo twins i find those two fascinating uh, roberto jimenez as well that would be a cool one yeah but i think uh most of the Yuri Simos, I never got to do anything with him, and we tried to arrange that a bunch of times. Just sometimes, yeah. sometimes things just didn't line up, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> so, so when you were in Thailand, could you were just in Thailand like uh, less than two years ago, right? I left Thailand in. I left. I think it was September two thousand nineteen, right at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. just before. Everything. Yeah. So take us through that process because you you've been in the you've been in the UK you you're now in Vancouver like how did you go from United United Kingdom Liverpool to Thailand to Singapore to you know world traveler like doing jiu-jitsu so like somebody's listening to us they're like hey like I want to travel and train like how did Stuart Cooper do it so when I was 25 that's when I actually left England sorry I've got a rescue cat in front of my laptop (laughs) you got a rescue what's going on there she is Ah, oh, I've, got, um, I've got two rescue cats from Thailand when I lived there, and she has a fascination with my laptop. She likes to press the keys and run off. Oh, nice! <laughs> She's clever. Um, but yeah, I was when I was 25. That's when I first left, and it was actually the videos. Um, 
the ones I was just telling you about, Gunnar Nelson, Ryan Hall, I did one with Jeff Monson, and I, I think I just did the ADCC 2011 highlight. Um, I wanted I wanted to get get out of England. You know, I lived in a I come from a very small town called Preston, and there's really nothing there. It's like the worst weather. You've, it's not very picturesque. There's no like nice walks around or anything. You've got like a cinema and a gym. <laughs> it's just not a. You know, I, was, I lived there for 25 years of my life, so. Um, those videos started going viral and I reached out to um, a guy called Dennis Ash who owned Connection Rio in Brazil it's like a, oh, a yes, hostel I, yep. for jiu-jitsu athletes and um, I didn't think I didn't realize how much of a reach my videos had actually got even back then um, I sent him an email saying hey I'd love to come out to Brazil for several months and train and make videos so here's some examples of my work yeah um, so I sent him the links to the videos I already made said, would you be interested in giving me free accommodation, free training? And in return, I'll like make some videos on like all the best guys in, in Rio de Janeiro and like put your company logo on the front of the video. And he got back to me in five minutes and said, when do you want to come? <laughs> so that was my <laughs> first escape out of England right away. I think I was on the plane in like a month or something, just wow. out to Brazil. And then that's where he put me in contact with Rafael Desanos, who was on the UFC prelims at the time. Uh, Kira Gracie, Husamar Harris before he was banned from MMA. <laughs> and so I made, I made some cool videos out there and they got even more popular because at this time, jiu-jitsu was growing. Facebook was getting more popular. YouTube was growing. Uh, Instagram wasn't even around back then. Um, and through there, I just met, met, met some contacts. I met a guy called Patrick Vickers, who was the promoter of Cage Warriors. And when I left Brazil, he gave me a job with Cage Warriors as the videographer. And we started tra traveling, doing events all around Europe, like Jordan, uh, Lebanon, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai. So I was um, making a lot of different contacts there. And then I didn't, I wasn't getting paid much for Cage Warriors. Um, so I wanted, I didn't really, it was, it was cool that the time I was with him, but I had the idea to like go to Thailand. Uh, so I thought I'd reach out to Tiger Muay Thai and offer them the same deal I offered uh, Dennis Ash in, in Rio de Janeiro. So I sent them an email saying, hey, here's some examples of my work. I'd love some free training, accommodation, you know, and I'll come out there and be a video intern. And like right away, you know, same thing happened. So, yeah, I was out in Thailand, free accommodation, free training, even got a free meal, meal plan as well. And eventually, I think it was even after just a couple of months, they started paying me and actually had a job in Thailand as uh, the videographer. Um, then I ended up saving up some money, bouncing all around the US because I always wanted to do like, uh, have a little tour around the US and film with some of the best guys there. So for quite a few years, I was just, I was, I had my bases in Thailand, but I would go over to America and travel around America, Brazil. And I, I'm gonna have to write, I've actually written it down the order of countries and the order of effort. So much has happened the last 10 years. I'm 36 now and I left England when I was 25. So the last 11 years has been a pretty wild ride, actually. I really have to take a step back and think about everything that's happened, you know? Yeah, that's to kind of like think back and like write yourself a book. Like all yeah, the different Yeah, it really could. Had. And it's not like the book would be really interesting. It wouldn't just because, you know, I learned a lot about myself as well. It wasn't all like, it's funny, people follow you on social media and you only post the good things on social media usually. Like me in Brazil, you know, on the the top of Pedro de Gavia or the, 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 the Christ statue and on the beach in Thailand. And every time I go back to England, people are like, man, I'm so jealous of your lifestyle. I do, I did have the great, the best lifestyle, but it's a, that whole traveling took a turn 
like it took a there was some dark times during that you know so um yeah i don't even know how my life <laughs> some situations i got in but yeah all the traveling eventually that led to like a drug dependent uh, you know a drug addiction that i managed to get over using psychedelics and um yeah it's just been like a roller coaster up and down big role have you ever yeah. have you ever tried anything uh like cbd related maybe from one of our sponsors the spirit leaf water down is that is that no but i'd love to it sounds great <laughs> located at 64 hamilton street north in Waterdown, ontario they yeah. have all your cbd needs your c3po r2d2 need. i gotta slip an ad in here somewhere so uh yeah i'm a big Alex fan is... of cbd though I'm, yeah sounds good stuff it's oh, great so... for uh people that do jiu-jitsu you know all the inflammation and the, like absolutely all the, you know, yeah the joint pain that we get well, if you're if you're ever in the uh, greater Toronto area, if you're ever in, I will take you to Spearleaf Waterdown. You can meet Alex and his crew. You can get all the stuff that you need. Aaron, what's the location for all of our listeners? That's 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. That's that's right. I got an ad read in. <laughs> <laughs> so Stuart, like obviously, like all these different places that you've trained at, and obviously, obviously filmed this footage, like. Like what was kind of like some of the like most intense training spots that you've been the athletes or just animals like where it seems to like run the worst like the toughest program i would say i when i was in miami uh with cyborg uh this was quite a few years ago now before all the controversy that surrounds him right now. yeah a lot of controversy um, with him. a lot of controversy yeah. there yeah <laughs> Uh, my experience with Cyborg has always been very positive. He flew him out to uh, Miami quite a few years ago. I spent a month there. He was training for the ADCC mm. 2015 super fight with um, Galvao. Oh, okay. I didn't see Galvao's training. I was just there uh, filming Cyborg, and I was watching him roll with Braulio Estima, Joao Gabriel Rocha, um, Rodolfo Vieira. Like, I saw how hard those guys were like training for a whole month. And I was actually with Rodolfo and Leandro Lowe and Bouchesha in Ibiza like the month before. And I saw how hard Rodolfo was pushing himself. That's where I really saw the difference. Well, what makes a world champion? You know, because I watched Rodolfo push himself so hard that he would just break down in tears, you know, crying. I think just from exhaustion. You know, and uh, one of those, like, what do you call those? Those air bikes oh, or something? Air, air dime bikes? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I, I was amazed by just, uh, yeah, just the the commitment to training and how hard they were pushing themselves there. And I, I remember with that super fight coming up thinking, oh, Cyborg's going to win this. But I didn't see Galvao's preparation. And Cyborg doing, lost. He could have been doing way worse things to himself to get yeah. ready. But I've heard stories uh, now because uh, Cyborg ended up losing that match. And then I've actually heard about Galvao's training and the lead up to these ADCC events and how hard he pushes himself. And it's like that much more than everybody else. And then I actually witnessed it myself in 2019. I went to Atos about a month out from ADCC. Man, that guy is a monster. Like, I think if anyone's going to give Gordon Ryan problems, it's going to be Galvao. Just with his, he knows the rule set. He's got really good wrestling. And I think Gordon's going to play guard. It all depends if Gordon can, like, get a submission off his back or get a sweep and get on top. But uh, Galvao really pushes himself, like, to another level, you know. Is, is that <laughs> like really just – possessed. Is that the, the big secret? Is it just, like, hey, you just got to push yourself to, like, limits that yeah. people aren't just willing to put themselves through? 
or yeah. is it just like technical or somebody somebody's just born that is it like what what is the secret that you've seen i think you've it's seen all these top work. level guys yeah okay. definitely a little bit of talent helps for sure it always helps but i think it's hard work more than anything and what i've noticed i always used to wonder what is it that these these guys right at the top what are they doing different and i think a lot of times like how much are you willing to sacrifice in your like not only your personal life like not going out the weekend having a beer with your friends you know like um it's how, like how much of your body you're willing to sacrifice as well. A lot of these uh, world champions, like look at Kamara Usman UFC, he has no cartilage in his knees. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, I don't remember Finn Cyborg actually, just a, it was like a year ago or something, or maybe a year and a half. He got knee barred by Victor Hugo and his, his leg went the opposite way. I swear that guy was back competing like six weeks later, running around on like a side pro. I'm like, how the because I had knee surgery. I was out for a year. I don't understand how some of these athletes keep going with some of the injuries they get, but I think a lot of them just bite down and push through and use a lot of jamba juice as well. So <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot of acai, yeah. I think. Uh, it's got to be. It's got, I want some because my injuries don't fucking heal that fast. <laughs> At least somebody said it. <laughs> I, just like, that one <laughs> I mean, like Mike and I are in the health and health and fitness industry, like by our trades, and we're like, how is it? No, body parts aren't supposed to move that way. Like, <laughs> like yeah. they had to take time to heal and do this. It's like, yeah. Did you see? Uh, I think it was João Miao or Paolo Miao recently. It was in hospital. I think he's getting a knee reconstruction. Yeah, there's a video on his Insta story of the, the the doctor moving his leg around. There's like nothing in there. Oh, no, there's like is... no ligaments in there. It's disgusting. Like it's yeah. basically he's taking his tibia and then just pulling it down where his ACL should be. And there's no ACL there. It's like just taking like a piece of wire and moving it up and down. Like, and that's just like, that's his shin that he's yeah. moving Because there's no you... ligaments attaching it to anything. Yeah. Um, so hopefully those guys have made enough money that, you know, they can afford all the surgeries and stem cells they need to have a good quality of life in the next half of the life. Because I think a lot of people, they don't realize you're pushing through, you're getting all these injuries, but you really got to, this is going to end like quite early, you know, like mm-hmm. most athletes stop competing before the 40. In jiu-jitsu, you can go a little bit longer, but you really have to think, when I recently had my knee surgery, I was in a dilemma do i take the meniscus out get it snipped take it out and be back in a month so i can compete or do i stitch it and i'll take it over probably a year over a year before i'm back competing and i was so close to getting it like just snipped so i could do the adcc trials but the doctor said if you do that we're going to take 80 percent of your meniscus out you'll be back competing pretty quick but there's no cushion in your knee um, yeah and you're probably looking at a knee replacement in like five years time so i decided like you know i'm i don't just think about competing now i think about the next half of my life so i don't want to be in a wheelchair on a walking stick you know when i'm 50 i want to be able to still walk around so i made the decision to yeah get it stitched and i had to to sit out for a year but made a decision that you'd like to walk when you're like 60 and not have like a double knee replacement yeah but to be like an adcc champion i think you you can't think like that (laughs) No, yeah, you gotta, yeah. the mindset Stack has to be completely parts. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just, just, it's a different level, and like, they, like yeah. you said, it's just, it's that different level. And like, you look at the Turo brothers, like they've been bred that way since they were like. 12 13 yeah. maybe when they started competing. They've been, they've yeah, been competing like, since they were like five. Well, I, that's what I'm saying, right? 
I would, I was down at autos in 2014. And I think the Rutulos must've been nine or 10 years old. And they were like, people were already talking about like these kids. Of the yeah. Future, I remember like, at, at about time. the same time, actually, I remember seeing them and they're just, they were little kids, they're little boys, you know, <laughs> look at them now. <laughs> I think they were like yellow belts at the time. And like, they're like, these yeah. kids, these kids of the future, like you need, you need to watch, keep an yeah. eye out for them. One thing I wonder about them, will there be interesting to see, like, will their bodies burn out by the time they're like 30, you know, you, you usually reach your prime, your prime, like 33, 35, but uh, they've started competing at a world-class level, like so young, you know, like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the joints and the bodies can take it for that long. Yeah, I think it just... I don't think any of them have like any had any issues lately within the last. Well, nothing. No, no, I don't think so. See, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most of my injuries came as soon as I, it's like as soon as I turned thirty-three. That's generally what happens. Like, all of a sudden, it's like everything <laughs> just done. Just a grappling industries uh, last weekend. I went for this uh, submission. I ended up like busting a rib. Like these things never used to happen. <laughs> there was something. It's like I get I get over one thing and then it's something else. You gotta you gotta blame black grappling industries for that. See, if you were competing at the IGGF, hey, maybe it wouldn't have happened. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we 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 kind of make fun of grappling industries like a little bit up here, but because they can't came one tournament and it was just like a gaunt. They started introducing the EBI ro- rules this one year, and then basically all these people ended up getting hurt because they didn't understand rule sets and uh, people okay. were, did understand it. And it was a fucking gong show. And it's like, oh, well, you want to go do that tournament and go for it. Now it's kind of cleaned itself up every time they come up here. But it, the first time they ran that EBI rule set, it was a shit show. Really? I didn't yeah. realize that you did EBI rules for a time. It was just like a one-year thing. It happened right. once. And then after that happened, the like we have what they call the Ontario Jiu-Jitsu Association. They were like, nope, never again. We're not running this rule set. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, like kind of back to the rule set thing. I think I've, I've repped a lot of EBI rule sets. It just, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of the rule set just for the main reason of like what you're saying. I've repped a lot of matches where I thought the raw, the less skilled person probably won in my opinion. Yeah. Just for like some guy could just be getting, some guy or girl can just be absolutely smashed for five minutes. Yeah. And like their guards getting passed repeatedly. They're mount, they're mounted. Like they're almost getting like choked, arm locked. And then like, yeah. EBI or they they escaped the back like three seconds. That actually happened. Uh, one of my brown belts who's like right there, ready for his black. He went to compete in here in Vancouver recently. His name's Christoph Van Dyke. He's actually a judo Olympian, and he was just like he's a monster. Um, and he's just it got to the final, and he's just completely dominating this guy. But the guy was just doing this, you know, five <laughs> minutes, just survived, survived by the skin of his teeth. It goes to overtime. He escaped quicker. And starts running around. Ah. Ah. <laughs> ah, he opens up the gi like he won world. Ah. Yeah. And then, and then flips off Sanji in the corner like Marigal. Like, Fuck you. <laughs> so when did you guys start running uh, tournaments back in uh, uh, Vancouver, sorry? Um, I think they started back in the summer. There was a few popping up in the summer. They tried to do it back last Christmas, but they just kept getting cancelled. Yeah. Yeah, but now, yeah, we had quite a few decent ones. We had a good outdoor one as well, actually. We've got some high-level people here in Vancouver now. Um, there's a, a, a guy called Matt Kwan. Are you familiar with him? He's out in Coquitlam. He's, um, no. he's probably about 165 or something, but he's good. He's, like, really good. He could actually – he should be on these Who's Number One events. 
Okay. Uh, he's a, he's very high level. Uh, ben Dyson's out here as well in Vancouver. He's a friend of mine. He won the ADCC trials in 2017. Uh, there's a guy called Brian Giorgio, um, a guy called Mike Crisp, and then my friend Christoph Van Dyke. So we've got some very high-level grapplers in Vancouver now. The jiu-jitsu is growing. Yeah, it yeah, definitely it, is. There's, there's a lot of people moving to the West Coast out there as well. I know there's some people have moved from the East Coast. I think uh, Lucas Wilhands moved out there. He was yeah, I was actually – he's a yeah. name I missed out. Lucas Wilhands, he's very good yeah. as well. Yeah, he's uh, like good gi and no gi. Yeah. Yeah, really good. He's I was training with him for quite a while, actually. Me and him oh, were, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. I've not seen him in a while, but I'll have to hit him back up to do some training. He's, uh, he had a really good match actually... with... Go ahead. Sorry? Sorry, he's actually somebody I've competed against a couple times. Oh, okay, so right. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say he had two really good matches with Matt Kwan, who I was just talking about, like, really good. I think they're on YouTube. And you're you're currently working out of the Diaz Combat. Uh, yes, Sorry. Diaz Combat Sports in Chinatown, yes, Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. So we uh, when I first moved out here, uh, the gym was on Gore Avenue, just a few blocks away. I was in a little bit of a rundown area. Um, but Ryan Diaz, the owner, he showed me the plans for the new gym. Because mm-hmm. um, I've been quite spoiled where I've been teaching. I was teaching a Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand. This huge, like it's the biggest MMA gym in the world. It has to be. Yeah. Uh, of all of MMA in Singapore, which is just pristine and spotless, they have like five locations, and it's um, it's almost like an anytime fitness for, for martial arts of all yeah. of MMA. So I've been fortunate to teach at the two biggest MMA gyms in the world. And then when I came over to Vancouver, like, it's like a normal sized gym. But Ryan said, "Hey, we're getting this world class facility," and I, showed, I saw the plans. But all right, I'm in. You know, and then mm. yep, it's it's the gym's open now, and it's. It's a really impressive uh, building. We're actually opening up gym number two across the road uh, by February, and that's going to be like yoga, like strictly yoga. Oh, nice. Which I'm looking forward to because I really that's what my body needs now. It's not really <laughs> – I'm doing less and less weights these days and doing more like stretching and, and you know. I'm going to start getting into Pilates as well because, again, I want, I want to be able to do this when I'm like 60, 70. Yeah, and uh, I if I keep ha- hammering my body with jiu-jitsu and weightlifting, that's not going to happen. Yeah, you know what? When it comes, especially as speaking from a thirty-year, I'm thirty-nine now, but like you're introducing, 40, you're less, forty next year. Don't, we don't 40. need to talk about that. You're a man. Podcast. You're forty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man. I'm forty. <laughs> but like going into strength training, you don't have to. Again, it's, it's not about hitting PRs every day at this age yeah. anymore. It's more about okay, being strong enough so you don't get hurt. But one thing, but then obviously focusing on mobility and Pilates is a great program. Like yeah. yoga, I'm not into yoga. That's me personally, but Pilates, I was always into. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like Pilates would probably be better suited to jiu-jitsu. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's all about the spine, isn't it? Yeah, spine, spine correction, mobility, obviously yeah. flexibility. And it's, I, I found it much better where, like, I would look at like a yoga class. You go to a yoga class and then you're, you zen out and you're kind of done for the day, right? And it's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fucking, going, I'm fucking going home. That's it, right? <laughs> where you could do a like, Pilates class and it's like, a, a, like a, a legit workout. And then you can kind of like be energized to do something else. That's me personally, yeah. though. Right? Yeah. Yeah, really. I, I, I think actually, Pilates really opens the body up more. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu, we're always like hugging forwards and clinching. And, you know, you can end up getting quite a rounded spine and your shoulders pulled forward. So Pilates will get everything corrected and bring it all back. 
Yeah, exactly. Correct that shitty posture. Yeah, I think a lot of jiu-jitsu guys are shitty jiu-jitsu like posture where you're like this. Yeah, <laughs> your, your oh, yeah. neck is connected to your ears. But yeah, no, I re- I actually really like Pilates. I've done it as well. Me and Aaron have uh, done it at the the gym that we do not speak of that uh, we don't we don't mention on this podcast that me and Aaron uh, frequent. <laughs> it's a very it's a very good like i like it basically for what you guys mentioned especially like core activation as well because oh, yeah. it's like getting yeah. getting your your abdominals to fire just fixes so many issues that you can potentially have jiu-jitsu related or not yeah so like kind of obviously with all the different places you've worked at like now that you've kind of like i'm assuming you've just developed an amazing structure to kind of like fit your classes like What's kind of like your kind of like base when you kind of like, oh, I'm going to structure my classes. How do you build that around that? Uh, I try and stick with a, a theme, you know, for like a month or something, like just stick to like side control and side control and mount escapes for a month, mm-hmm. you know, and just focus on that. Uh, and then like the next month, maybe just do, uh, you know, half guard sweeps or butterfly sweeps. So this month, like what we're doing, just focusing on butterfly guard and different sweeps from the back and different setups. So, yeah, I really like uh, to, I've been studying, my game's changed so much over the last few years from just studying Gordon Ryan and John Danaher and seeing what those guys do, because those guys are getting their techniques to work against the best guys in the world. And, mm-hmm. and I, I find learning the John Danaher, so like learning like the systems or the subsystems has really helped me. You know, I got his back attack DVD um, couple of years ago now and I was learning learning in Thailand I'd like watch a little bit in the morning and I go to class I would teach but whatever I saw in the morning I would try that little setup and try and get it onto work in like a blue boat or something and maybe I'd be missing something the next morning I'd watch a little bit more oh I was missing this detail and then um, yeah just I just pick like one thing to focus on for a couple of months until I'm getting it to work and everybody and once I get it to work on blue belts, purple belts, brown and black, then I, I feel like I'm good enough to actually teach it. Is that so Danaher and like Gordon Ryan are some of the like the big influences? I yeah, and Lachlan Giles as well. I really like his approach and his uh, his his style of teaching. Yeah, and that's another YouTube channel. That's a big one that I, I yeah, his is great. the last couple of years. He's been tremendous and he was somebody I was following actually. Cause I don't think a lot of people knew about him until like 80s. He's been around a long time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's been around a long time, but that was a channel I watched a little before. I'm like, oh, I really like this guy's like teaching and his technique. Yeah. And like stuff. I like to steal my jujitsu literally from everyone. I don't make anything up. I just, I've, everything's stolen. I'm like, I'm the most plagiarized <laughs> jujitsu I think ever. Every, I steal everything from everyone. But like, he's somebody I was watching before his ADCC run. And I was like, oh, this guy's, you know, pretty good. I like to see how he does that ADCC. Meanwhile, like, he does the open weight and he's just heel hooking like world champion after yeah. world champion, like that back and forth it was really impressive yeah that was really cool what he did he was actually in adcc 2015 and so was craig jones and i was there filming but i don't even remember him being there and actually have footage of them i have oh, a, the, the, i've got a little bit of the match of craig jones versus humlo bahal in the first round of 88 kilograms and humlo just kind of run through craig but then two years later craig's a different animal he came in two years later i think around that time 2015 he noticed what the Danaher guys were doing with inside position and elevating the hips and bringing them into the, the saddle position. And um, yeah, he came back in 2017 and had different entries because the heel hooks always inside heel hooks always been there. But what Craig did different was like, he was catching people off guard, like Leandro Lowe of the, the, the entries. 
And then 2017, so 2019, we thought we'd seen it all, all the entries from inside position. But Lachlan Giles comes in from outside position, from Della Heva, and no one saw that coming. Nope. But this is the, the good and bad thing about social media. Like, imagine if Lachlan Giles went into ADCC that day and got that, the, the, the inside hill hook from 50-50 from the setup of outside Della Heva. If that wasn't shared on Instagram, like, the same day all over the internet, he would be winning a lot of competitions with that same setup. But because people, it gets released the same day, it goes viral, and people do breakdowns of that the next day, and people would know it. Like ah shit! Now everybody's yeah. stealing my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I hope nobody from Stuart Cooper Films is filming this right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, like, when you look at that, I mean, that putting the sport into a bigger, a lot more eyeballs, right? So you're yeah. gonna have to evolve your game. Obviously, evolve the techniques on how you get to these positions. Like, it, I, I don't look at it as a negative. I just look at it as like it's a positive. Where yeah, yeah there's more eyeballs, and now people have to have to get better. Yeah, like, yeah, I think, yeah, people just have to be creative with, uh, yeah, the different setups. You know, that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently is, like, how do I get to, like, these submissions, you know, in, in a way that they don't see coming, you know, make them think one thing, but do something else. That's what mm -hmm. Braulio Estima was really good at. Uh, back in 2009, he was pulling off the reverse triangle. He was letting people think they were passing his guard. As soon as they think they're just getting side control, he'd whip that left leg over the short the other side of the head and pull him into a reverse triangle like uh, he did with Galvao. I think he got a couple that day. He got Zhangji in one as well, but Zhangji's pec ripped. And then he, that was the year he came in with a steamer lock as well, which no one had seen before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he was ahead of his time, Braulio. <laughs> yeah, Braulio, I think, is... I don't think he gets talked about as much as like one of like the all-time greats. Honestly. Yeah, he should and be. Gi, I don't know why. Gi, Gi and no Gi Jiu-Jitsu because he's a lot like before Galvao like got a double gold medal. Like, hey, did Braulio Stima did the same thing in 2009 yep. and submitted Galvao. Yep. And in, you know, 2011, Galvao did the same thing, got double gold and then rematched, you know, Braulio in the super yeah. fight. Yeah, I think Bra Braulio should definitely be, uh, they're doing like the inductees to the Hall of Fame of ADCC. Braulio should definitely be on there because that year he submitted Marcelo Garcia. Yep. Um, yeah, he beat Jean Ribeiro. Yep. Yeah, Galvao. submitted, submitted Galvao. There's, <laughs> yep. there's some names, Lovato Jr. Yeah, there's a lot of good people he submitted. You're, you're just listing off everybody else that yeah. he submitted and all of them are in the Hall of Fame right now. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so how did that happen? How is he not in the Hall of Fame? I don't understand. Uh, I'm, I think they're just doing it like, I've noticed they're oh, just okay. spacing it out. So I know Marcelo Garcia just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. I'm sure. Thank you. I think he'll probably just one, space honestly. it out. All right, he's yeah. got it. Yeah. He's That'd got a crime if he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, a shame. That, he's that good. Yeah. I think I'm excited for this year's ADCC because it's going to be probably the biggest one that they've ever yeah, done i've actually bought myself tickets i mean i feel like i've done enough work for adcc to get a free one but <laughs> <laughs> apparently not <laughs> oh my god yeah well it's, it's 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 different now like i remember going to adcc 2011 i would just i literally i didn't have permission to be there i just jumped over the freaking barrier and just started filming <laughs> and pretended <laughs> like i was supposed to be there uh 2013 the same thing happened i just like pretended that i was supposed to be there and then just blended in <laughs> and cut all the footage 
2015, I think that's when they finally gave up and like, all right, let's just let him in, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and a Budo video has actually allowed me to film that year. Uh, 2017, I didn't actually um, uh, film. I was in Singapore, but 2019, I was invited to film. But there's just so much, it's, it's just different now. Like 2013 was no audience. It wasn't really much security, a bunch of, you know, Guys, just a bunch, a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys at a tournament really right yeah. it was just a, yeah and now yeah, look at 2019 it was a great yeah. event as well but now like 2019 they've got like security everywhere you've got cameras and video cameras everywhere you've got flow grappling uh, it's a lot of a lot of people involved now you know because there's more money coming into it mm -hmm. yeah like when you look at like a company like flow they just kind of like took that next step that like like budo was always doing the live events which is great yeah and flow just kind of took it that at a next level especially now introducing the different series and obviously the like the road to uh, adc or the road yeah to all these different things now yeah they're doing some great i really like the a lot of the, the who's number one events a lot of the, the stuff that flow do is is awesome you know i think they're helping the sport grow in a lot of ways i feel they should definitely not be like they should be a little bit more lenient with like letting people like myself into some of these events and giving mm -hmm. myself a little bit of leeway and other videographers because they're very strict with who films what you know yeah they, they're protective of content that's a big yeah. thing i know yeah the copyright yeah. things like that i think they're because they're i i've even seen like hey you can't even film your own matches no nope. <laughs> things no, things no. getting things getting as extreme as that as that like if you're going to like an ibjf or you're yeah. like, hey, like I need to film like my purple belt open. No, can't. Like they'll put the camera away. Yeah. So it's been yeah. it's been that it's it has been that strict. But I'd like to see like you know like videographers such as yourself being able to. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping to compete in the next one. We'll see. It depends on when the trials. If not, I would love to go back and film the next ADCC. But I'm not sure if that's going to happen because there were some issues with the last one. <laughs> but I won't get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. It got fair it enough. got very. It was a headache. It got very complicated, and it shouldn't. Uh, it should have been so the, simple. Off the air. <laughs> off the air. <laughs> now that we're not recording. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stuart, obviously, you have the FLA happening. Uh, gen uh, sorry, January twenty second. Uh, what's kind of like the next steps for you, especially after that? What's uh, anything down the pipeline that you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I want to continue continue to compete. You know, I'd like. I'd really like to get on some of the fights wins. Uh, in america get some of the bigger shows in america mm -hmm. uh, i'm going to continue to do yeah compete as much as possible the grapple fests in, in uk that's like a good um, it's a good reason for me to go back to uk as well um competing on the grapple fest show because then um, yeah they get some good yeah, get some big names on that card um yeah i'm like continuing to grow my school you know we're going to hopefully have like Stuart Cooper jiu jitsu is all around vancouver you know like not just at one location we're going to have like a bunch uh, build all my students up to like black belt um, yeah I want to continue to make my films as well I've, I've not been able to put out too much content a combination of not being able to travel and mm -hmm. film new stuff but also just because I've been for years I was just traveling and just focusing on filming and making videos and that took me away from the jiu-jitsu but yeah. what I actually prefer more than anything is training teaching and training that's actually my favorite thing to do so when I'm really focusing on my own training and, uh, and these tournaments coming up, I just don't have time to do video stuff. But it would, uh, I'm definitely not going to let it drop. You know, I've built up a really good uh, YouTube channel there and people really like the content I put out there. So I'm going to always continue to do it. And I, I think I'll just stick to 
you know, I'm not like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll never be, it's not, never my intention to be some, some big media company like Fanatics or Flow Grappling. My, my videos are just, you know, like, uh, I suppose they're like quite like artistic little sh short film kind of things. You know? Yeah, which is kind of like that old school. That's kind of like, my niche. Going, going yeah. back to like the, the Ryan Hall seminar, which is probably like the first one I watched, I think, uh, of what you were filming which i thought was awesome yeah. at the time and you're i think you're honestly ahead of your time when it came to a lot of the, the content that yeah. you're putting out thanks yeah one thing I'd, i am working on i think this would be really cool but i need permission to film adcc 2022 mm. uh is I'm, i've got the footage of galvao all the way back to 2009 when he lost to Browler by reverse triangle mm. but that flipped the switch in his head he comes back in 2011 like a man possessed so I have all of his matches all the way up to 2019. So it's like a 10, I've got, I can make a really great feature documentary here on Galvao. Um, and it would be cool. Win or lose, I think him going up against Gordon Ryan, it would be a great ending. You know, because even 100%. if he loses, he's losing against Gordon, he's passing on the torch, he's stepped up. Yeah, he's, he's a legend, you know. I think it would make a cool documentary. I think wow. that'd be a really cool, that'd like, awesome. decade long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Start a petition, get Stuart Cooper into ADCC 2022. I might, I might have to do that. <laughs> Win the trials, bring a put a camera on your head as you're competing. Yeah, like, the GoPro. Just, do, do GoPro, yeah. just do something. I got a, I got one more question. You know, since you moved to Vancouver, you, know, you moved there in, in 2019. I know. Um, yeah. Vancouver has been well documented for. Uh, I think I think your your gym may actually be around, like, because you're in Chinatown. I think you said like yeah. south of there. There's a notorious strip of Vancouver known as East Hastings. Oh my God. <laughs> tell us, tell the viewers about East Hastings. And then I have a second part, which is a, would you rather, you know, stay downtown in East Hastings for 24 hours at night or go to Stanley park where there's a new coyote. Nest. <laughs> I would, I would go Stanley <laughs> park for sure. <laughs> I, I, I'd kick the shit out of those little coyotes. <laughs> but uh, no, East Hastings, I've never seen anything like it. It's strange. I've been all around the world. I've been to like some bad parts of Brazil, you know, like the Cidade de Deus, if uh, I pronounce that correct, it's the, the city of God. It's one of the most dangerous favelas oh. in the world. And you see, you know, poverty. You see people like, you know, like living in shanty towns. Same in Thailand, I've seen people living, you know, in Vietnam, I've seen some, you know, dark stuff, but I've never, ever seen anything like East Hastings. It's because in like Brazil and Thailand, people are poor, but they're not, they're still human. Like these people on East Hastings, they're so drugged up. It's like this, it's like uh, several blocks and the whole road is just full of tents and people mm -hmm. just hunched over. I don't even know how they keep the balance. And you look at the faces and there's no soul left in them. There's no help for these people. I'm not sure what help there is. You know, we need to have some mental hospitals and some shelters and there needs to be more help for these people, but there just isn't any, you know, or not enough, in my opinion, you know, the Vancouver government will go and spend $2 million in some chandelier underneath Barad Bridge. But, <laughs> no, that 2 million could have gone to something good. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, I, yeah, it's... I think it's fentanyl that a lot of them are uh, hooked on. Uh, and this, yeah, it's hard coming back for a lot. I know a lot of them have mental health issues. A lot of them are like schizophrenic and opiates kind of do actually mitigate the symptoms. But when those opiates wear off, there's this like rebound, 
you know, symptoms and rebound anxiety and stress. And yeah, it's, it's just getting worse as well. It's getting really bad uh, during COVID. It just, it seems to have grown and it's scary because we didn't really have this problem. I know uh, parts of Scotland um, have this problem with diazepam. There's a lot of like people out on the streets and just the mental health problems. And yeah, it's the, these, these pharmaceutical drugs, you know, like heavy benzodiazepams and opiates, like, it, yeah, I think it's, it's gonna be scary to see if this continues to grow, you know? Yeah, it's not a, not a good thing. No, it's just no, the, no. The, the level, like, well, you, you don't know, like when I think when people are making these drugs, I don't think they realize how powerful potentially. Yeah. If, if they're in the wrong hands, they can do a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, there are, they're like, there are solutions to get people off opiates as well. But a lot of them, you know, you can say conspiracy, but I think it's just like business, you know, like uh, there's a substance, there's a psychedelic called Iboga or Ibogaine. And this has a 95% success rate of getting people off opiates. And you, the hardest thing about getting off opiates is the, the withdrawal symptoms. They last so long and they're awful I've, because I've been through them. I've been through opiate withdrawals. It's fucking awful. You just want to like, after a couple of weeks, you just want to give in, you know, but they last so long. Uh, I've actually done Ibogaine as well. And you have zero withdrawal symptoms. It resets the opiate receptors in your brain. And not only does it like clean out your opiate receptors and get you off opiates, but it's because uh, it's a psychedelic, it gets to the root cause of what was actually, why you got hooked on the drugs in the first place. It brings that trauma to the surface, but these things are illegal to do, which I, is beyond me. I don't understand why it's something that saves lives, gets people off opiates can be illegal, you know? And there's a lot of data there. There's a lot of studies that show this this stuff works like rehab has a 95 percent like relapse rate people go in mm-hmm. rehab they come out it's relapse yeah yeah it's uh yeah there needs to be uh more of an understanding with like addiction and mental health definitely i agree with that or are we dropping a ayahuasca ayaboga bomb on yeah East i Hastings? actually made that joke all the time is you drop a freaking yeah iboga <laughs> bomb on these tastings <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've tried everything else at this rate. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate because yeah. I actually know I, there's a friend of mine who's a teacher out there and his soon to be wife is actually was working in that area. And it's just, you're, you're pretty much just, you're what her job was basically, she was working across the street from Oppenheimer park and where you just, you'd see like somebody just wander in, shoot up heroin, just make sure that oh. like, okay, is yeah, this person yeah. gonna, okay, so uh, how do we get this person off heroin? Just make sure they don't die. Like that, yeah. that's, that's basically your job. And people have become very jaded to it here. When I first got here, I wasn't used to it. I'd see someone lying in the middle of the pavement, face down, I'm like, oh my God, is this guy alive? Like, shit, we need help, but like, I'm gonna be late for work and I'm like, Hey, is this guy okay? And then now I'm just like everybody else. You see someone lying in the middle of the street, face down, when it's like it's cold, it's rain. They've got the the pants hanging down, and they're just like, "Is he alive?" Like, probably, but uh, you just carry on walking. It's kind of it's fucked up. It's really fucked up what's happening here. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. I mean, like, there's been so many studies as far as like psychedelics going. So I'm hoping again. This is just me hoping that eventually down the road and unfortunately i don't think it's going to be anytime soon but again time will tell we'll see again there's a new it's a new show called dope stick 
that's on uh, Disney Channel or it's like Star, but it's, it's all on the about, Disney uh, Channel. No, it's, it's, it's Disney, but it's like it's on Star, basically. Yeah, that's what it is. That's like, that, leave, that's leave, the leave first channel I would think but, would, uh, uh, of. But hold on, it, it basically talks about, it's all about how the um, oxycotton basically kind of got into the market, and so obviously how it started, and then obviously how they started flooding it, and it's all about. Um, a pharmacist who basically kind of breaks down everything and it's like actually michael keaton's in it and there's a couple other people okay but it's a it's a, it's a full-out show all about yeah. the opioid curses so right it's, it's a good uh, a really good documentary called dosed as well uh, which okay. you can find online uh, and that's about a girl who's an opiate addict based here in vancouver and it was all shot here in vancouver and you see all of east hastings and they try to get her on mushrooms at first but mushrooms don't work that they, they can work but they won't help with withdrawals they won't actually clean out the opiate receptors mm-hmm. uh, and then they end up doing I- ibogaine and iboga with it and actually get her off the opiates mm-hmm. she was on like methadone and like coke like yeah morphine all kinds of stuff it's a really interesting documentary okay i'll definitely take a look at that one yeah sure. yeah it's worth wow. a watch <laughs> yeah no for sure but you know what? End on a happy note more than anything. I definitely want to make sure that either so you let us know if we can help you out with a petition for sure and who we need to talk to because we need to do see that Andre Galval documentary. Like that, if you have stuff from like 2011, that's got to come out. We yeah. got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Except I've got loads. I've made little little videos of Galval over the years. I haven't put them out. I've got a lot of good content sitting on my computer, which I could put out, but. I'm like, do I put out these little videos and space them out, or do I make one big one? One big you know? one, yeah, yeah, like one big doing. feature one. Yeah, hmm. time for the big one. Um, yeah, ACC I think so. Yeah, I've never made like a feature documentary, so that would be a challenge. So, if you were to do that, how would you would you put that like on YouTube, or would you kind of like sell uh, I'd it? Probably like, like, yeah, I'd probably try and like, I'd probably do like a digital download or something. Yeah, okay. yeah, like on Vimeo or something, and just charge mm. like I don't know five bucks or something like that. Or yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, it's cool. Yeah. Well, well, you got two buyers right here. We'll, hopefully, we can make it happen. Yeah. One thing about digital downloads, people can always pass on to other people, but you're not going to stop that no matter what. Are you? you just have to I don't think it. you can start up any of that stuff nowadays. No, no. <laughs> no I, I remember listening to, um, I think it was a Rogan podcast, but you know, like um, Cocaine Cowboys, the documentary. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the original was a bootleg and that's how it went viral. And then that's how he started actually funding anything he was doing because the original one that somebody stole it and he was like they just put it out on the black market it was all bootleg and that's basically what funded everything moving forward for all their other documentaries that they've done yeah nice yeah i need to do something like that sometimes that's how it works yeah yeah Well, Stuart, it's been an awesome chat today. I do appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to seeing you, especially in, uh, sorry, Nova Scotia, January 22nd. So that is going to be on the FLA card. Um, anything else to say before we shine off today? Uh, no, no. Just if uh, people or um, anyone's passing through Vancouver, you know, make sure to come to Diaz Combat Sports. You know, we've got, um, it's like three floors now. We've got like weight training, strength conditioning, got kickboxing, MMA, wrestling, the jiu-jitsu with myself. So yeah, it's pretty much it. Awesome. Maybe uh, I may be vacationing out there next year, so I'll check yeah. you out for sure. Yeah, even if everyone's thinking of coming out to Vancouver, come in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> <Come in> the <laughs> summer. So honestly, Vancouver and I've been like I've been to so many countries. Vancouver in the summer is my favorite. It's my favorite place to be in the winter. 
oh my god i want to get out of here just wet it's like rainy rainy old london <laughs> yeah that was worse it's more more rain in vancouver than there is in england i think oh really wow i think so but <laughs> england i've noticed that the weather in england is harsher yeah it's, okay. it's, it gets colder vancouver is actually it's not it doesn't get that cold yeah it's more mild like it's more mild like but just rain like 10 degrees but then yeah yeah all right that's okay Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Sure, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, buddy.